does anyone here read the Southern Cross? Sorry, I'm, power's gone to my head. Uh, <laughs> does anyone here read the Southern Cross? Uh, does anyone, do you not know what the Southern Cross is? Uh, the Southern Cross, it's the uh, Sydney Diocese, Anglican Diocese, uh, used to be a newspaper, now it's a magazine, uh, which has been coming out for donkey's years. Uh, the, uh, from time to time, if you're a long reader, long time reader of the Southern Cross, uh, you may be aware that uh, there are sometimes long running debates that go through multiple issues which go on and on and on and never seem to come to an end, even sometimes for years. Uh, the two longest running debates that I can remember from the Southern Cross that went for something like 20 years uh, through the 90s and 2000s uh, were both over uh, the issue that we've been looking at this term, which is about making disciples. Uh, the first issue that ran for 20 years was about whether the church really has any mission at all. Uh, or whether instead the church is just the result of mission. church doesn't do mission. We are the end point of mission. Missionaries go out, they do their thing. People become Christians. They join church. The church doesn't, doesn't do anything and shouldn't do anything. And it's wrong of preachers uh, to say that we should. Uh, uh, there you go. Uh, that's, that's the debate that went on and on and on. And it, it uh, didn't leapt out of the pages of the of debate in the newspaper, uh, into the pulpits across the diocese uh, and into other forums. And it went on and on and on. Uh, does the church have a mission or is it just the end point of mission? And like most arguments, it's completely stupid. Uh, but it just went round and round with people talking at cross purposes, jumping categories without thinking, and really only exists because both sides created a false dichotomy. Of course the church has a mission. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, it's pretty clear, isn't it? The Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. It's not really that hard to understand. We might not want to do it, but it's not hard to understand that it exists. And of course... The church is the result of mission. Uh, the church grows as people come to faith and come into it. People are gathered around Jesus Christ as they hear the gospel and God's spirit moves in them, drawing them to repent and believe the good news and join God's family. But that only happens, as we saw last week, as God's people go about God's business. What were the four things? People proclaiming the word of God, prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit, persevering step by step and so really the whole thing is not two opposites you know two a false dichotomy they, they build each other right as as the church does mission the church grows and so on now there is a heavenly church and i think here's the category error uh the church victorious uh in heaven gathered around the throne of course that doesn't have a mission because it's arrived and when jesus christ returns uh, that will be all of the church, right? It will be the church in heaven. That doesn't have a mission. The church on earth, the church militant in the old prayer book prayers, of course has a mission. But we build the church and it's the end point of mission and it keeps building and grows together. It's like a spiral. The second long-running debate in the Southern Cross and around the diocese went for even longer. And it's much closer to home and I think it's much more personally challenging and it's very on the very topic we're working on today. If that is the mission of the church, whose job is it to do it? Whose job is it to make disciples? Is it the whole church who's supposed to be doing it, all the Christians, or is it just certain parts, particular Christians who are specifically tasked with that job? Because if it's not all the Christians, then maybe us preachers should stop harping on about it uh, and making a big issue of making congregations across the world feel guilty that they're not being too evangelistic enough. And, and we can all be let off the hook uh, to go and do other parts of God's work, which uh, he's called us to do, because that's not our work. But if it is all of us, well, then we better get going, haven't we? We've got to work out how to learn how to do it and how to do it better and better and even learn how to love doing it. So whose job is it to make disciples? Is it something Jesus expects us all to be doing or is it something he only expects a certain select few to be doing? Well, there's a lot of objections people raise and maybe you've even thought some of these things yourself about it being everyone's job. Here's some of the objections, here's, here's ones that people have told me. 
Uh, Number one, the Great Commission, the thing we're looking at uh, this term, was only given to the 11 apostles on the mountain that day, and so Jesus really only had them in mind. Okay, that's the first objection. Objection two, well, what about spiritual gifts? I mean, the women's breakfast was on yesterday. It was a fantastic morning. Who went to that? Uh, Great morning, great food, great company, great challenge. Yep, excellent. Uh, What about spiritual gifts? We're not all made the same. Uh, God has made us all differently and equipped us all differently. And in relation to disciple making, doesn't God give us, as one of the Bible readings we had, I think, last week, doesn't God give us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in Ephesians chapter 4? They can do all the talking. Um, They've got the gift of the gab. Uh, and they can leave the rest of us to our particular gifts, which happen to be different things like maybe hospitality or administration, which are great gifts of God to his church. But they're more behind the scenes kind of things, which are suitable for the quieter type of Christians who don't want to verbally say anything about Jesus to others. Objection number three. Hang on. I work and earn money to pay specific people like you and Dave uh, to do all this evangelism and discipling stuff so I don't have to. Do you really want me to be doing your job for you? <laughs> I've heard that a few times. <laughs> um, four, fourth objection. I really just don't have permission from any of the people I know to help them become disciples or grow as disciples, so I can't do it. So it can't be for me. Number five, I don't have authorization from the ministers at my church to do it, so I can't possibly, because they won't let me. Uh, let me just get that one out of the way. Authorised. There you go. <laughs> um, have you ever thought any of those things? Have you ever heard someone say anything like that? Uh, just come up with, with this kind of reason why it's not for everyone, why it's not all Christians. I suspect like most times people object to anything, uh, those reasons are all just really a smokescreen. They're a distraction from the real issue. Because I think the real issue that many Christians have and the reason they don't want to be involved or they're scared of making disciples are really personal reasons. They're not really intellectual reasons at all. Um, whether, whether it's because they feel embarrassed uh, and they're scared to admit it or because they really don't know how to go and make disciples. How would I even do that? Or because they just don't like having deep and meaningful conversations about their personal lives at all, let alone this kind of spiritual stuff about their deep-seated beliefs that drive them. Or whether it's because uh, they don't want to appear ignorant if they ask hard questions and I don't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation and go, oh, so it's better just not to talk at all. Uh, or because it all seems so daunting or because... Uh, they're worried about being labelled a Jesus freak or something, or maybe it's because making disciples actually requires us to think about someone other than ourselves, uh, and we'd rather just get on with doing what we want in life rather than this thing that seems so potentially demanding and time-consuming and costly, uh, like making disciples. Now, do any of those thoughts resonate with you? It's just a scary prospect, or I just feel embarrassed, or... I raise them not to lay on the guilt trip, but to say that the real issues are heart ones, aren't they? And, and if it's a hard issue, it's something we need to acknowledge and have God deal, uh, deal with in us. If we want to grow in any area of our Christian walk, this one or any other one, then we've got to be open and honest with ourselves. We've got to be open and honest with each other. And we've got, certainly got to be open and honest with God. Because it's only then that God can start to mould us and shape us and change us as he helps us to start to delight in what he delights in and love what he loves and to to be what he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do. All transformation has to happen from a point of recognition about the reality of ourselves. Okay, If you don't understand yourself and what really is driving you, you'll you'll never be able to change. You don't have to be self-protective and, and defensive with God. You don't have to throw up smoke screens. you just got to be honest with him and ask him to change you if you recognize that there's issues there. That's true of anything, including this big issue of being a disciple maker. But what I want to do over the rest of, uh, of the talk today is I want to build your confidence so that even though there is a reality to the spiritual giftedness that 
and, and God has made us all in different ways and there are people who do have uh, special roles and special gifts. Um, there's actually plenty of ways that we can all be profitably involved in this great work of disciple making. You can learn how to do it, even if you're not so confident now. And you can even, even to develop into someone who has an amazing impact on the lives of everyone around us as we help them take the next step from whether the, wherever they are onwards towards Jesus or towards maturity in Jesus. Okay, you, you, can, you can have that impact on people. Uh, does anyone know who in the Bible uh, is known as an evangelist, for instance? Who's called the evangelist? Uh, he's called that by the church, but not by the Bible. Uh, Philip. Philip is the evangelist. He's called that in Acts chapter 24, I think. Uh, he's the only person with that title. But who was Philip? Philip was the guy appointed by the apostles to free them up to do word ministry. He was appointed to go and sort out the meal rosters. <laughs> right? And then lo and behold, he happens to be walking beside this chariot and a dude says, I don't know, he looks over and the guy's reading his Bible on a scroll and he says, you don't understand what that means, do you? And he goes, got no clue. Can you explain it to me? He says, uh, okay, hops up into the chariot and uh, says it's about Jesus. Uh, and, and shares his faith, and the guy becomes a Christian. And from then on, he's known as the evangelist. But he's the roster guy. <laughs> uh, the other person who's told to do the work of an evangelist is Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Timothy, mind you, who in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy is timid and nervous. Uh, there you go. And Paul has to pray for courage for him not to be timid, and who also wasn't uh, he was left behind to organise some church, the church in Ephesus. He wasn't there to be an evangelist, but he has to do the work of an evangelist. There you go. So there's an encouragement. You never know what God might use you to do if you're open to the possibilities. In fact, I think today as we see the possibilities, not only will all the objections start to fall apart, but I think we'll actually start to long and pray for and work at becoming something great in the hands of God for the development of others into people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then who walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's come to uh, the Great Commission. I've got the clicker here. Let's see if this works. Uh, all right, the Great Commission. I want to suggest that the Great Commission is certainly a commission for all it wasn't just for the 11 men who were standing there that day. And you can tell that from two things. If you just have a look at the bit that Jesus says there, I've missed out the intro uh, bit to it, but uh, have a look at what he says. How is it that uh, those 11 guys are to go make disciples? They're going to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Okay, they've got to teach them as they make disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. Isn't the Great Commission one of the commands that Jesus gave them? Right? So as they go, they're being told to help the disciples that come to faith do exactly the same thing. If uh, Jesus was a computer programmer, you'd say it was an iterative routine, right? Uh, it repeats. Right, And so the disciples they're making are to be themselves disciple-making kind of disciples and so on. So that's the first way you can see it's for everyone. The second thing is the time frame. How long does this Great Commission last for? Well, till the end of the age. Uh, that age is still going. Uh, it's a very long time. It's still Jesus returns. It's, it's while we're still here. Uh, and if that's the time from, then Jesus has got this job for us to do as his people. So have you ever sat and thought, well, if that's the case, if that is my job, one of the things that Jesus uh, is commanding me to do, uh, that I've got to learn to do, how is it that I'm going to do that the best that I can? How can I learn to think and to act intentionally as an ambassador of Jesus Christ that he's calling me to be? How am I going to be active in proclaiming the word of God? to the benefit of the person I'm talking to so that they might take that step forward as I persevere with them and pray for them. Because the talking bit, if you think about the four things we learned about last week, people proclaiming God's word, prayerfully depend on the spirit, persevering step by step, 
Only one of them is a skill. Which one? Is it the people? Is it the prayer? Is it the persevering? Or is it the proclaiming? It's the proclaiming, right? The other, well, the people, it's just, that's us. Uh, you know, you might be skillful or not, but uh, praying, that's just something we do because we want people to come to faith and God's going to change them. Uh, and persevering, that's, that's a character issue uh, uh, and about persistence. But the proclaiming, that, that's actually a skill, a skill that we can learn and develop um, and work on. So how is it that we're going to do that? Well, I want to start with the motivation. Why is it that we would ever speak? Uh, I mean, not just because Jesus tells us, but, but why would we want to do it? How are our hearts going to be transformed? Well, Jesus has something to say about words and where they come from in Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry for the formatting between my computer and this computer. They don't talk so well. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's a bit blurry on top there. Uh, where do our words come from? Luke chapter 6. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things up from the good stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's, that's the bottom line, is it? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Do you hear that? What then is your heart full of? It's easy to see what people love and cherish in their hearts, isn't it? Because they're always banging on about it. Uh, every conversation is about that thing that they love. Uh, be it football or cricket or crochet or, or computer games or they can't help it because it's just what occupies them. And so they, they want to tell everyone about it. They want to become an evangelist for it. So what's your heart full of? Is your heart full of the joy of knowing God and his abounding mercy and forgiveness? Do, do you know how wonderful it is to find freedom and relationship with God? Does your heart leap that, you know, your dad owns the universe? Uh, and in fact, you're an heir to it all. <laughs> um, in Psalm 51, uh, which was a song that David wrote when he was caught out in sin, the prophet Nathan busted him for his adultery. Uh, and he wrote this uh, psalm, this song, to beg God for forgiveness and mercy. And it's, it, people know the, 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 the famous bits from the Keith Green song, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me as he prays to God for mercy. But about halfway through the song... He says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the, blood of, uh, the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God and Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. So he's talking about... A, the joy of knowing you're forgiven, right? He, his heart's full and so he wants to speak. He wants everyone else to come and to share the same joy. How does he put it that sinners might turn back to God? He, I mean, he sounds almost like a recent convert, doesn't he? Uh, you know, recent converts that just can't help. They're just so enthusiastic. They want everyone to know Jesus and but uh, this thing happened and stuff. And they're expecting that everyone else will just go, Wow, that's great. I want that too. <laughs> and it's only a year later when the brutal realities of life uh, wear them down that they shut up. <laughs> but um, but that's, that's what he sounds like, isn't it? Just, you know, if I know the forgiveness of God, I just want to shout that out. But notice he also finishes there in verse 15 with, uh, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. He just wants to praise God. Have you ever thought about the word praise? And, and what it means. Uh, praise does not mean singing. That's how many people define praise. Uh, you can praise God in song. I'm not saying you can't. But, but praise is so much more than that. In fact, praise is something you can't do at home alone. Did you know that? You, it is impossible to praise God by yourself. Why is that? Well, if you want a simple definition, praise means 
advertising. Right? Praise is advertising. That's what it is. It's advertising how great something or someone is to someone else. There's always a someone else that you're praising them or that thing to. You know, if I praise, uh, if I praise Lucy here, it's very different to thanking her. I mean, thank you, Lucy, for the care you've put into our children over the years and all the cuddles for me and the kids and uh, <laughs> so, uh, stuff. But th- thanking someone is what I do personally. Then we th- we want we've got to thank God for he, he blesses us in so many ways. But praise is something different. It's when I tell you about how great a woman Lucy is. If you want someone who's going to love your kids and, and pray for them and care for them, Lucy's your woman, right? Uh, uh, I praise Lucy to you. If you read the Psalms, I will praise your name, O God, amongst the congregation, right? You are, you are speaking to other people about how good God is. That's what praise is. Um, we praise someone like that because we want others to share the same convictions as us or to come and meet them because they're great or become their friends. Um, same goes for a product or a store. We praise it because we think people will really benefit from using it. Aldi's really cheap. <laughs> uh, and and pretty, pretty good, even the kind of knockoffs <laughs> kind of thing. Ryobi one, really great uh, set of tools, an interchangeable battery kind of thing. David will praise Makita instead. He says go for the quality, which is really, really expensive. I say go for mid-range. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, but, but we think, you know, other people who want to use drills and saws and stuff, well, that's a good product and you, they'll benefit from it. Why praise God? Well, he's worth praising. But you praise God so that, so that the other person, whoever it is, be they Christian now or, or not a Christian yet, so that they can be saved and, and know the joy, the same joy, have that same relationship that you have. So that God's church is built up and it's encouraged. And so that in the end, God gets all the glory. That's why we praise him to other people. So that's the motivation. That's why we speak. So what about the how? Especially if we don't feel like we're the gifted ones or the especially gifted ones. How is it that I, just as a normal, everyday, average believer who thinks my gifts are in, I don't know, hospitality or administration or something, how can I helpfully, joyfully, thoughtfully use my mouth to speak the word of God profitably into people's lives? Does God give any guidance on that? Absolutely he does. The scriptures are full of it. And so what I want to do uh, is run through a bunch of different ways that God encourages us all, every believer, to speak, which are all part of this disciple-making process. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just examples. Uh, Things that you don't have to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor teacher to do. Uh, we're going to do a bunch of Bible flipping, uh, so get your fingers ready. I have arranged them pretty well in New Testament order, if that helps. Uh, if you want to follow, I will put them up on the screen. Depends how good your eyes are. Uh, <laughs> but here's how all of us can be disciple makers by speaking the word of God profitably into other people's lives, no matter who we are, in ways that are incredibly useful in the hands of God. And I want to build your confidence that you can do it. First of all, Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, Paul does speak about the pastors and teaching, preparing God's people for works of service. Uh, But but he's describing, uh, as the chapter moves on, what a healthy, wonderful church looks looks like where the members are developing towards maturity. And so what what does a mature church look like? Well, verse 14 of Ephesians 4. Well, then we'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. A healthy, thriving, mature church is one where all the members speak the truth in love to one another. Mind you, that's a really hard thing to do isn't it? Uh, And hard partly because lots of people will fall 
on one side of that or the other. There's lots of people who, who love to correct and speak the truth and uh, tell other people what they're really thinking, uh, uh, but they do it without love. Uh, and that can be really destructive. Okay, if, if you're not motivated by caring for the person you speak to, don't do it. Okay, if it's, uh, even if you are right. But on the other hand, there's all kinds of other people who just want to be nice and lovely and loving, but never say anything, right? Uh, and so they have the love without speaking the truth. And neither of those is particularly godly, right? A mature church is one where God's people speak the truth to each other in love. And I take it he particularly has in mind the speaking of the truth about God and his gospel, uh, teaching and encouraging each other and reminding each other what's right as opposed to the false teaching that, that, may, uh, that we might be hearing. Like that, that's, that's what he's talking about. You know, we're, we're avoiding the, the cunning and the winds and the waves and the destructive teaching by speaking the truth to each other. So reminding each other what we believe, encouraging each other what we're learning about God um, and reminding each other of the gospel. Uh, Peter Schulte, I don't know if you know Peter, he was part of the Glen Quarry uh, group that came across last year. Uh, he's on a, a walking frame, um, comes to 8 o'clock church. Uh, just about every day, Peter uh, texts me at an ungodly hour of the morning <laughs> and sometimes wakes me up. <laughs> uh, I wish he'd stop doing it then. But uh, he, he texts me... Uh, what he's read in the Bible that morning and why he was encouraged by it and how it's challenged him. Now, I'm not asking anyone else to do that, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, you, you know, but, but it's a really super helpful thing to say, he, he's a man who's growing in his faith, who's reading the Bible uh, and who's reminding me of the truth and actually it is really, really encouraging. Uh, in fact, yesterday he texted me, or I was driving the car, so Alison read it out to me, uh, he's off his own back. He's in. An, he leads an AA group because uh, he's a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he's asked all the men if they'll do Bible study with him on Saturdays, and ten turned up for the first one yesterday. There you go. How encouraging is that? Um, uh, that's great. Now he didn't necessarily think I'm going to be the world's great winner, but you know he. Yeah. Anyway, speaking the truth of love. You know, reminding of the truth. Uh, that's the first way we can uh, speak helpfully to disciple others. Uh, or come to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Here's a different way. Let the message of Christ, or the word of Christ probably in the Pew Bibles, dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Right? You've got to teach and admonish each other through wisdom. How? Through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have you thought about why we sing in church? Uh, it, it's not because the church has just always done it, right? And thousands of years have been here, you may as well sing them, they're out there. <laughs> it's not to draw us into the throne room of God, as some Christian songwriters have said that they're trying to do. They're trying to get congregations to come out of earth and go into heaven. Uh, no, that's not it. It's not even to have a private moment with God ourselves. The reason we sing in church is to teach and admonish one another. That's weird, isn't it? It's actually an other person directed activity. As we give thanks to God in our hearts, I mean, it comes out of joy in our relationship with Him and we do want to say those things to God and honour Him. Um, but the reason to sing in church is to teach each other the great truths of God, even while our hearts rejoicing inwardly because of our relationship with Him. Why, why would God say to do that? Why, why would singing uh, be helpful to teach and admonish? Well, no one ever walks away remembering the words of the sermon, right? But what things do you know for years and years afterwards? Jesus loves me. Mm. 
All right, I'll stop you there. All right. We don't need the words up there to remind you. And what are you, te- what are you saying? Jesus loves me. I know it because the Bible tells me. All little ones belong to him. They are weak, but he's strong. They are great truths that are ingrained in us. How does that work? Well, it's because music is, is emotional, right? Uh, and you attach these great truths to an emotional experience that we have together and it just burns itself into our memories, okay? And it's a really powerful thing. And God knows how he made us. He understands that's how he's built us. And so he says to do it and, uh, and you will teach and encourage each other and admonish, even admonish each other as, you, as you know, your thought processes are corrected and you're learning things about God. Uh, now that cha- fundamentally changes all kinds of things about church music, doesn't it? It, uh, if it's to teach and admonish each other, it changes what we sing, the, the, the kind of words and things that, we, that we, we, we say. It changes our attitude while we're singing. Uh, it changes where we look when we're singing, doesn't it? Um, let's move on. A different way we can use our words uh, to speak the word of God profitably into the lives of others. Uh, just over the page in, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I mean, he's saying that as an apostle, as an evangelist. Uh, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. What, what kind of things does that say about our speech as Christians? Well, lots of things. First of all, it says that we need to be speaking to God for hearts to be opened, right? God's the one who's going to change people. Uh, God's the one who's got to open the door for Paul and his message. God's the one who's going to open the door for the gospel as we speak. Uh, but in terms of us speaking with others, what does he say? It's got to be done with wisdom. Uh, that means our speaking always has to be done intentionally and thoughtfully. He says our conversations, just in general, should be full of grace. Um, that means, I think, filled with, with kindness and thankfulness uh, rather than with bitterness and vitriol. I mean, are you a person who's just a whinger all the time or are you a person who's just a really encouraging person who's, who's really great to talk to? Um, or, or are you someone who just says meaningless things? That's not this kind of wisdom uh, full of grace. He says that our words in our conversations are to be seasoned with salt. Uh, if you think, thought about what that means, uh, he's not saying our language should be salty like a sailor. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't have a foul mouth. What, he's, what does he mean? Well, what's salt used for? What do you use salt for? Tastes good, right? Yeah. You know, imagine KFC chips without the salt. <sighs> KFC chips with the stuff on top. Woohoo! <laughs> Uh, well, but in Paul's day, it's used for other things too. It's used as a preservative to keep meats and other things from going off. It's still used today. It's just hidden in the label. Um, it was used as a currency. Uh, you, you did financial deals with salt. Uh, and it was used in small quantities as a fertiliser, which Jesus actually talks about in uh, Luke... Is it Luke 9 or 10? Uh, anyway, you can look that up later. You can figure that out. <coughs> uh, so as a fertilizer, there you go. Uh, and I take it that Paul's not got necessarily a specific thing in mind. He's got all those kind of things in mind. That, that, that is, our words, just in general, should be different to the world and they should be wholesome. Uh, they should be words that, that bring benefit to the hearer, uh, that are really worth hearing, that are of value, costly and in particular, they should, they should point to Jesus. That's what the whole section's about, isn't it? The message of Jesus going out, opening us. We're praying that God will do it. We're praying for Paul, who's in jail, that he should do it, and pray for missionaries that they do it well. But uh, as we speak, we want to point other people to Jesus so that we'll know how to answer everyone, so that we can help them understand and grow and, and come to Christ and grow as Christians. Um, and, and, that's, and I think that know how to answer everyone uh, he's, he's knowing how to answer their questions and objections and criticisms of Jesus as a, or criticisms of, of, of church or, or of you as a Christian. That is, you've got to be able to think 
about what you say and, and how you say it in a way that brings credit to Jesus and doesn't make them walk away just thinking you're a jerk or that all Christians are jerks. It's a similar idea, and this is the one that's out of Bible order, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. In your hearts, always set aside Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Have you thought about why you are a Christian or why you're still a Christian? <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you were to ask someone else this morning, or someone was to ask you at morning tea today, what do you reckon? What's, what's the reason you're a Christian? Are you ready to go? He says you've got to be prepared to give that answer. The question will come. And probably has come to you, and I don't know what you've done in the past. You're like, uh, 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 I'll go and research that and come back to you. No, no, you've got to be prepared, all right? I'm a Christian because um, uh, it's great to know where I'm going when I'm gone. I'm a Christian because uh, I love God's family, uh, you know, whatever it might happen to be. Why do you have the hope that you have? Hopefully it's tied up with Jesus. Um, or a completely different way of speaking the word of God profitably to the lives of others is in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, this is our second Bible reading, or the second part of the second Bible reading. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive, to encourage the disheartened, to help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what's good for each other and for everyone else. That is, in the way that we speak to each other, and to others, it should be in words that will help that person grow as a Christian in whatever situation they find themselves in currently. I think that's just a list of examples. It's not an exhaustive list. You can only ever say anything uh, if they're being idle and disruptive or they're weak, you know, kind of thing. No, he's, he's, he's giving the kinds of examples which uh, whatever situation the person you're talking to finds themselves in, what is the thing you think will help them move forward. Uh, that might mean pointing out some hard truths to the person that they may be completely unaware of about their sin or their behaviour. It, it might be speaking words of comfort and hope to someone who's doing it tough. It might be reminding someone who's doubting of the character and promises of God. It might be issuing a challenge to inspire someone to do some great thing for God who's, who's holding back and nervous about it. You know, all kinds of right words for the right occasion, right? You got, but that means you've got to know the person. You've got, you've got to know yourself uh, and, and, and think what, what, what aspect of God or the Bible is, is going to help stimulate that person, help them take the next step. Now, it's challenging stuff, isn't it? it all of that is challenging. It's challenging because it means we've got to be aware of what's going on for each other. Right? That means you've got to let other people into your life as you, you're in their lives. It's challenging because we've got to think hard, what does this person need to hear or need from me right now? It's challenging because it takes the relationship to a whole new level um, where our discussions are spiritual and they are edifying, whether they're challenging some problem or pointing a way forward or just reminding each other of the promises of God. Uh, these are just some of the ways that we're called on to speak as Christians into the lives of other people, whether they're not yet Christians or they're growing as Christians. There's plenty of other examples. Hebrews 3, we're to encourage each other daily um, so that we'll not be uh, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That is, sin's going to keep wanting to draw us away. And so we've got to keep encouraging each other with the truths of God because if, you, if we don't do that for each other, we're going to get drawn away by the world, by the devil and by the flesh. Right, uh, and we, it will just harden us, and so we've got to keep there encouraging each other. The opposite reason to encourage each other is in Hebrews chapter ten, where to encourage each other uh, and spur each other on to love and good deeds, and all the more as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. You know, we're one day closer, so we should meet more often than we did last week. <laughs> right? Um, 
uh, to encourage each other, spur each other on, to live the life that God wants us to live, uh, to, to please him in every way, uh, to, to do his work. It's challenging stuff. But whether they're believers or not, we're called upon to uh, move in the same direction, helping them come to Christ or grow in Christ, taking that next step forward. That is to say, if we had to summarise all of that, what God is calling us all to do as disciple makers, whether we are specifically gifted or not, is to go into every conversation that we have with thoughtfulness, with intentionality, graciously speaking the truth of God's word to others for their spiritual benefit, that God might be glorified and honoured in their lives. Whether it's helping someone flee from sin or live by faith or obey some command of God, believe some aspect of the truth from scripture, trying to make the most of every interaction, even the ones about mundane things or the ones you're having while you're doing fun things together, like going to the football or going fishing with David Brake or you know, playing board games, God forbid. <laughs> um, it's a real challenge, isn't it, to, to, to the kind of flippant waste of time conversations that I think I normally have right or that we might normally have and you don't have to be appointed to some position of authorized leadership to do that you don't have to be specifically specially gifted as an apostle or a prophet you've just got to be thoughtful about what the other person might need to hear right now that will help them move one step forward in their relationship with god Dave's going to share, uh, after we sing, I think, uh, some practical ways that might just help us to be ready at any time to have a conversation like that. Hearts full of Jesus. Isn't that a great line? It just stood out to me. Very only what Joe said there. Whatever your heart is full of is what's going to flow out into your speech. I've got six thoughts, six ways that you can skill yourself up now so that when the time comes to proclaim the word of God, you're ready to do it. Uh, number one, and they, they kind of go from easiest and simplest and quickest through to hardest and more, most complicated. Number one, uh, and, and really you could do this as soon as you get home from church tonight. Right? There's nothing stopping you. Uh, turn off the TV, turn off your phone, turn off distractions, lock the kids in a different room, whatever it might be that you've got to do. Actually, hopefully they're in bed already. Write down on a piece of paper the top three or four reasons you're a Christian. In fact, this is the only one of the six that we're commanded to do. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. God tells us to be ready. So write down, why are you a Christian? Now, if you can't think of why you're a Christian, please give me a call. Let's meet up and talk about it. But otherwise, write it down. Secondly, while you're writing your reasons out, you've already got pen and paper there, so why not write out your testimony? That is, uh, how is it that you came to faith in Jesus? What was the process? What were the people who were involved? What's the story of you being not a Christian? What happened? And then becoming a Christian. And what's happened since? People love stories, right? So much more interesting than just facts. To be able to tell somebody your story about how you came to know the Lord of all as your dad is fantastic. Now, of course, having written out your testimony, share it with someone. And my advice is that you share it with a Christian friend first. Just find someone who you trust and, you, and just say, look, can I tell you my testimony? Can I tell you my Christian story? Uh, and I think that's, that's useful for two reasons. It's useful just to speak it out loud. Sometimes when you write something and then you start talking it, it comes out completely different. Uh, they can help you sharpen it a little bit. But also, some of us often have this kind of fear of, of talking, of, of speaking. Even our own Christian stories a bit kind of like, oh, can I really tell this to someone? So just telling someone that you know and you trust someone who's a Christian to start with will kind of make it easier for the next time. All right, third, uh, third thing to do. Learn a simple gospel explanation. The next time someone comes up to you and says, what does it mean to be a Christian? What are you going to tell them? Uh, well, um, <clears throat> uh, great question. And, uh, well, uh, it, it began... Uh, <laughs> um, um, all right, so there's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God... Um, and, like, 
You can pre-prepare this. There's some really good tools out there. It can be as simple as ABC. You ever heard ABC before? Admit, believe, commit. Admit you're a sinner. Admit what it means to be a Christian is this. It means to admit that you are somebody who's not right before God. It means to believe that Jesus has done everything you need to, so that you can be forgiven and so you commit your life to him, to him right? There you go. That was pretty easy. Uh, two ways to live, slightly more complex, six steps instead of three. Uh, John Chapman's God, Man, God. There's a whole bunch of those. On our Facebook members group, there's links to Two Ways to Live in particular. Uh, you can find that on the web now. There's apps for Android. Someone told me this morning that the iOS app is not available in Australia. Go figure. I'll have to have a chat with Matthias Media about that one. But anyway, uh, learn it off by heart. It's, it'd be really useful for you, let alone for other people. All right, fourthly, there are certain questions about Christianity that you just know you're going to face. They're the sort of the, the hard questions that keep coming up. Uh, if God is all good, then why does he allow suffering? Is the Bible true? Is it historical? Can we believe it? Why does God care about sexuality? Right? These are just the sort of questions that keep coming up time and time again. And so if you know that those are the kind of questions you're going to get asked, they might be the sorts of things people are going to ask you at work, then pre-prepare. Find out some good answers. Jot down some dot points that you can learn. So next time someone asks you, why does a God who's all good and all powerful allow suffering in the world? You can give them the three, four point answer. Uh, if you feel ill-equipped to find the answers to those questions, ask your Bible study group leader. That'll be the first place to start. If you are a Bible study group leader and you feel ill-equipped to answer those questions, uh, come and see me. <laughs> Number five. And this, we're, start, we're starting to get a bit more complex now, but well worth doing. Learn to listen well. Learn to listen well. Now, that's a skill that you're going to find very useful in all of life, not just in conversations about Jesus. But learn to listen well, in particular, so that you can learn to turn conversations into something that is positive and helpful and challenging. It is a skill you can learn. Now, I've got a bunch of books that I'm going to recommend to you tonight. This one is called Tactics by Greg Kukul. Uh, fascinating, fascinating book. And he talks about the strategy of kind of driving a conversation in the direction that you want it to go with a particular end point in mind. He doesn't set out so that every single conversation is a full-on conversation about Jesus such that by the end of it, the other person is going to pray the prayer. Now, his aim is this, and I love it. His aim is just to put a rock into the other person's shoe. So that it just bugs them. You listen to what they're saying. You learn to ask questions that are going to get under their skin. And that's it. You walk away. That's the end of the conversation. Just let it bug them for a week. And they will want to come back and know the answer. What do you you mean? How does this work? What can you say about... Fascinating book. Uh, Joe is still halfway through reading this one, so you can't have it just yet. I think he wants to finish it first, but afterwards, grab it off him. Uh, And I've put the names and authors of all of these on that Facebook post as well, so you can find it there. Um, It's just a great idea. Put a rock into their shoe. Make it bug them for a while. Fantastic. Right, that's number five. Number six, read a book on how to start evangelistic conversations and then how to have intentional conversations with people about Jesus. I've got a whole stack, and we'll go from shortest and simplest to longest. Uh, Lionel Windsor, who's one of the lecturers at Moore College at the moment, wrote this book called Gospel Speech, which was essentially tonight's sermon. Uh, but you can read it in about 10 minutes. So I'm uh, not quite Joe, maybe for next time. Um, you could just read us. Uh, anyway. A fresh look at the relationship between every Christian and evangelism. And it's really cool. It's just laid out with a whole bunch of uh, questions about why is it that you wouldn't evangelize and what you can do about it, right? I'm not good enough. It's chapter 2. I'm not gifted enough. It's chapter 3. I'm not really a speaking Christian. Chapter 4. Right, and so it goes on. I, can't, I can promote the gospel better by my good works, etc., etc. Short, easy, simple, cheap. You're welcome to grab this one. All of these I'm telling you because you're welcome to take my copy on the one condition that you're going to read it. I want you to take it and put it on your shelf. I can just leave it on my shelf at that point. You take it, read it, you can have it, pass it on to someone else. Gospel speech, Lionel Windsor. 
40 Rockets by Craig Josling. Fascinating book where he just takes 40 different short tips and encouragements to get you moving and to turbocharge your evangelistic efforts at work in particular. Uh, really cool. You could just take one rocket a week, ignite one rocket a week, and, uh, and that'll kind of get your evangelism kicking along. So really short chapters. They're like two or three pages a chapter. Each rocket is really tiny. You read one each week. You try and put it into practice. Excellent book. Getting slightly more complicated, uh, Know and Tell the Gospel by John Chapman. Uh, Chapo, for a very long time, was perhaps the next evangelist. There was Philip the evangelist, and then John Chapman came along 2,000 years later, and he was the next one. Um, Just brilliant at, again, getting under people's skin and then just smashing them over the face with a big fat fish of the gospel. Brilliant book for yourself to know the gospel of Jesus, but then to be encouraged and informed about how to share it. John Chapman, Know and Tell the Gospel. Another one of my personal favourites, Randy Newman, Questioning Evangelism. Uh, his, his line is, we ought to do evangelism like Jesus did evangelism. That is, what did Jesus do whenever someone came up and asked him a question? Invariably, he would ask them a question back. He wouldn't just give them an answer. He'd say, well, hang on, what about this? Now, of course, Jesus had the benefit of being able to see into people's hearts. We can't. He could do that. But at the same time, Randy says, this is something we need to learn to do. Kind of like the tactics book, learn to listen, learn to pick up on what they're saying and get them questioning where they stand already such that they will want to come and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last one, uh, because, of course, the real... I don't know if the aim, the aim is for them to become disciples of Jesus, but the the, the real magic happens when someone starts reading the Bible. So One to One by David Helm uh, is a simple, really straightforward guide to reading the Bible with someone else, whether they are Christian or not. If you think to yourself, I'd love to sit down with one other person and read the Bible, but I have no idea where to start or what to do, this is for you. He'll just say, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. You do it, done. You're reading the Bible with someone else. Um, go for that one. Uh, just this morning after, after morning church, one of the ladies came up to me and said, just talking about evangelism at work in particular and one-to-one Bible reading, she said, I came into work the other day and the lady who sits in the cubicle next to me had a Bible on her desk. And I said, what's the deal with that? She said, oh, I'm a Christian. Did you know? She says, oh, no, I became a Christian just a couple of months ago. And the lady goes, really? Yeah, really. She's like, oh, well, so this morning, what did you say? Can we read the Bible together? She said, oh, no, that'd be a great idea, wouldn't it? All right, one-to-one Bible reading, just for those sorts of situations, someone else you want to sit down and read the Bible with them. Also, by the way, if you go to work, please make sure you have a Bible on your desk. Just, right, <laughs> easy gains to be had. All right, six different suggestions to start being trained and equipped now such that when the time to proclaim the word of God comes, you will be ready. Uh, You can have any of these except for tactics and know and tell the gospel. They're already bagged. Come and see me afterwards. And we have more know and tell the gospel. I'm pretty sure I've got another one-to-one basic Bible reading as well. Basically, come bags it, read it, and then pass it on, right? And that way we'll, we'll send them around.